0: Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where you can hear the GC team discuss and debate topical developments in public policy and regulation from around the world.
1: Hello, I'm joined today by Chen Yufu, a distinguished Chinese energy leader and businessman and an advisor to the Chinese government and some of the world's top universities. Mr. Fu, when I first met him, was chairman of Sinopec, the China Petroleum and Chemical Corporation, and CEO of Sinuc, China National Offshore Oil Corporation, playing a leading role in managing China's energy needs at a time of impressive growth. And today, we, we will discuss energy and industry in the context of current climate uh, challenges. Uh, hello, Cheng Yu.
0: Hello. Hi, Peter. How are you?
1: I'm well. Can we <clears> start <throat> by looking at oil and gas uh, and net zero? Uh, in the UK, there is sort of political controversy over whether or not to issue new licenses for development in the North Sea. And the International Energy agencies. Uh, Faith Birol, has talked about, and I quote, peak oil. Now, meanwhile, on both sides of the Atlantic, um, European and US majors seem to be recalibrating their strategies to invest more in oil and gas. So let me ask you, first of all, if I may, what is the view in China about the future of oil and gas? And the pace at which we transition uh, to use less of it.
0: Uh, okay, if we consider the uh, the transition from the fossil fuels to the future renewables, and uh, for China itself, and will be different from the oil industry in the world because China actually they consume. Uh, a lot of oil, but they only, the oil consumption in the total consumption in China is only about 17%. So this is relatively easier for China. But you look at the whole world, maybe more difficult than uh, we talked about the peak in uh, in China and in the world. I think the world will be difficult uh, to. To have the same pace. So uh, this is the one thing. Second, that the China has determined to transform the whole country economy from where we are now to the future China, which is what we call the green and low carbon economy. So they have to take faster pace than majority of the other countries in the world. So China uh, government really pushing uh, forward very aggressively than majority of the countries. So this is uh, based on this uh, that China's transition, if we talking about oil peak, might be earlier than the rest of the world.
1: So in your view, just to be clear about this, China is going. At a faster pace in transitioning out of oil and gas than other countries in other parts of the world. Is that, am I understanding you correctly?
0: Especially for the uh, majority of the major producing countries.
1: Yes. Right. Okay. Well, look. Almost every country has committed to net zero by you know the middle of this century. The UK and EU by. 2050, China by 2060, Uh, we all agree on the end state of a world with zero net emissions. But whether we are on the same page about how to get there and on what interim timelines is, of course, a different matter. And this is relevant to COP28 coming up. And I want to come back to COP28, if I may, at the end of our conversation. Let me turn, in the meanwhile, to low and zero carbon energy. I mean, look, China is the global leader in deploying renewables, no question about that. And I think it now has roughly double the annual electricity generation from from renewables of the United States. Uh, and for solar capacity in China is more than the rest of the world combined, and China is on track to double again its renewables capacity five years earlier than planned. Let me ask you this i mean what is what is the key for for China's success in achieving this level of development and deployment? I mean what are the policies uh, and the attributes of what China has done, that others perhaps haven't done as well or as quickly, that has put China so far ahead in the deployment of renewables?
0: I, I think the key for China to rally uh, moving forward in uh, transforming China uh, to the uh, green economy is a government decision. Government have a long-term target target, which divided into three steps. By 2025 is a, one uh target, 2030, another target, and 2060. So with those uh the targets and they have developed whole program systemat- systematically transform China's economy from all the industries. They have a detailed program. And they have, in order to make those progress realized, the, the government decide to issue new regulations, new laws, and then new management system and then new policies. In order to, to make all those work, they also develop a system of green uh financing capacity. And this related with like uh carbon market and trade. So those are systematic way to transform China's economy to the future uh, net zero. So this being put forward, so every year they have a detailed target, not just government. Government set the targets, the, the every industry, every business corporate will have their their target too. So, They are not just talking about the uh, transformation. They have a detailed long-term, short-term plan, and they have execution details from the government of different levels to the business of every industry.
1: But China is so vast. I mean, the, the economy is so huge, and the individual... Decision-making points and what and who and how many enterprises and others need to make this transition is so much greater than than any other country. You're saying that you, that the government really has created the capability to not just to set standards and set targets. I mean individual ones at every stage, but it could monitor and it can enforce the transition uh, that it has, uh, that it's insisting on by law. I mean, government really has the capability to do that?
0: Uh, yes, the the government in China is totally different than most of the uh, governments in the world government in every sector play a key role, especially for transforming China into the future. So they they have uh, new laws, new regulations to meet with the future requirement. So the enforcement of new regulations that each of the business sector, they have to follow. And second, they have to uh, set up a new management uh, systems to meet with the future requirement. And also, they are going to issue the new policies to meet with those. So all the business sector will will be based on those things and to transform their each of their companies or each of the sectors.
1: And, and we're not just talking about state-owned enterprises. Government state enterprises were obviously you know, the government, the authorities have a sort of direct control over, in that sense. But
0: private business, the private sector as well. Private business is the same because if they don't follow this, they will pay higher cost. Right.
1: So there's a sort of a, a stick and carrot, or even a stick and stick.
0: Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <Yeah. laughs>
1: sort of. um, I mean, you're rewarded if you. Uh, if you implement this transition properly by lower costs. Is
0: that right? Yes. And if you do do not follow this, you may pay higher costs, either by fines or some of your businesses might be closed by the government.
1: Okay, well, that that is a fairly large and draconian stick. Let me come back, if I may, to... Uh, the uh, industrial base of uh, renewables and how this transition is being uh, achieved in a moment. Let me ask you, though, in parenthesis, in the meantime, about new coal generation. I mean, you've obviously made huge progress with renewables, uh, but many people are rather less admiring of China's continued investment in new coal generation how how does china may i ask you reconcile its incredible effort and achievement on renewables with such dedication to new coal i mean
0: is there not a contradiction here uh not exactly a contradiction, but uh, if you look at the figures of consumption on coal loss in the last two years, it seems that the coal consumption now going up, and some of the new coal uh, uh, mines being approved to be developed, and that's one of the reasons is because the renewable development too fast, so there's one key area. To to continue to support the, the renewable to development is storage capacity of new power generation through the uh renewables. That that's
1: not advancing as quickly as you would like. Is that the case? No.
0: There's a two uh, two things. One, the storage capacity as storage technology was not uh Compete with with the energy generation from either solar or or wind. Second, because the technology is not that mature or that advantage, the cost to the storage uh, are higher. Right. And so, based on this, a lot of new installations, a capacity of renewables cannot generate power effectively. And so, coal. In the western part of China, especially, we consider those uh, new energy uh, base to be developed in the western remote areas where there's short of water, there's a short of uh, storage capacity. So, coal being considered as a kind of a storage capacity, adjusting peak and, and the valley. So, this is one of the major reasons for the coal consumption in the, in the future. But, coal from the main energy supplier become to the security sector so they are not working every day they are only working uh, adjusting peak uh, and the value uh, production of the power so this one of the reasons uh, and the major reasons for the in the last few years the new coal mine uh, shows up uh, higher, but e- if you look next few years, this will change. In the next few years, as soon as yeah. as soon as that, uh, that means there's one. The storage capacity will will come up. Will uh, will have a higher, bigger capacity to be invested. Second per the current technology uh, uh, progress, so next few years, the, the cost for the storage will be lower. And the coal will use less and less as uh, adjustment capacity. And are we talking about the next five years or the next decade or what? No more than next five years. You okay. well, that- you know China has committed by 2030 that the the they will meet the peak. Actually, based on uh, for my understanding, I think China might be early to meet the peak. So if you want to meet peak, you cannot the uh, the employ more traditional fossil fuels in recent years.
1: Okay. Let's let's focus on renewables again. Um, I mean, obviously, as I've said, the domestic growth of renewables is very striking in China, but so too is China's role in the global uh, renewable supply chain and its value chain. Um, China's established global leadership in making solar PV equipment uh, the the top 10 suppliers of solar PV manufacturing equipment are Chinese, the top 10. Um, it's arguably Chinese investment, innovation, and competition that has driven down the global price of solar, uh, making it the cheapest form of electricity ever. Let me ask you, what enabled China? to become such a solar energy manufacturing leader? Uh, what, what enabled you to become such a giant uh, in solar?
0: So first, which is very important, that the government set up long-term goals. So you're not just need a vision, you need to set, set up long-term goals based on those your vision. One of the visions that the Chinese government look into themselves. First, we need to deal with climate change. You have to do it a little bit. Second, you need to transform your economy into the future green economy. But what behind this? You say transformation, you need uh, the green transformation, all behind this is technology. And so, without technology, you cannot be there. So, government, Develops uh, the incentive program, encouraging the business to invest on the, on those areas. So this is the, one of the key things. The government have a vision, have an actual plan, have a, actual program, uh, the the policy to encourage the investment in those areas. So this is a key area. So business always looking for the uh, for the uh, returns and opportunities. So when they invest, it has a lot of failures uh, on their investment. But because it was subsidized by the government, so they eventually they grow up.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are two ways of looking at incentives. One is a, um, I suppose you could call it an American-style tax incentive to reward investment by the private sector. But another way of looking at it, uh, the incentives is as subsidies, state subsidies uh, to industry. And you know, I remember when I was Europe's trade commissioner a long time ago. Now I became concerned about Chinese state subsidies to the solar sector, and I started an investigation as to whether those subsidies were unfair. So. In reality, are we talking about incentives or are we talking about state subsidies, which have given Chinese industry such an advantage?
0: No, this is actually, this gave it to all the the, uh, players in China market. And if you do this, but you see the majority of those uh, technology holders today are private is not SOEs.
1: But but Chinese private or Chinese and foreign private? You see the distinction? I mean, well, I remember when I was doing looking at this, some European businesses came to me and said, well, look, um, we know you're looking at Chinese subsidies, but European companies in China are benefiting from these incentives. So please You know, be careful. But that's assuming that there's still the latitude for uh European and other foreign businesses to invest in China. If they're simply, you know, increasingly Chinese businesses, then that becomes a Chinese advantage.
0: It is not it's not true, or not all true, because only you take that risk, you apply it. You apply into a such a program, and then you will be included. If you don't want to take the risk, because company itself, you pay a lot higher than government subsidies. So you need to take the risk and then you can get this. So it's not the ob, ob- the way. I gave you the, the conversation and then you do it. So the foreign company is. They are not believe in this industry or in this area, they can be uh, effectiveness or they can be the real uh, making money industry. So if you back to the 10 years, nobody believe this. A lot of people don't trust this. So only those who trust that I want to try and then you get the subsidized. Otherwise, you cannot be there.
1: I mean, as global demand for solar PV continues to rise, will China's production simply expand to meet that demand, or will it face some constraints?
0: Uh, I don't think that uh, Chinese uh, capacity can meet all the demand of, uh, of the world. For example, based on or my understanding about COVID-28, so, uh, and also the agreement with uh, President presidency made with uh, President Biden about satellite uh, uh, land, the, the world in the next few years, they will meet three times of the renewables than today. I think if this is based on the whole world, that the investment on this and the requirement on the technologies and products will be a lot higher than the capacity China has today.
1: Right. But you can understand the concern of others uh, in the world, you know, who, who would worry that you know China's solar production and its capacity will simply experience exponential growth and will expand to meet uh, global demand, uh, squeezing out the production from other countries. But you're confident that that won't happen,
0: are you? Uh, I think this is uh, similar like uh, 40 years ago of China. We have same concern about this. But you have to work together with those who are advanced than us. So work together, have a cooperation in the way of, you cannot just say Ch- Chinese companies do everything. And the same in the past, even, even with we working together with the foreign companies in China, that we were very weak, but we work together with them, same today. If in certain industries like uh, uh renewables, China is, um, more advanced, but they cannot do everything by themselves. They have to work together with the global uh, mm. partners.
1: Well, let's come back to that because I I want to focus you on wind, uh, where China is also a leader in uh, supply chains. I mean, Chinese manufacturers have supplied around sixty six zero percent of global installed capacity, and this share continues to grow. I mean, 10 of the top 15 companies in wind technology are Chinese, uh, with market share for European heavyweights like Vestas and Siemens, Gamesa, continuing to fall. How do you see the future of the Chinese wind manufacturer sector developing? I mean, is it going to display the same exponential growth, as we've seen in solar, and what impact do you think that will have uh, on the rest of the world?
0: Uh, again, I think the first from the attitude or mindset of the, the global peers, they first don't be too sad about themselves. So as I mentioned, in, in the past years, China was very weak. The companies in China is also very weak, but we try to learn from them. We work together with them. And today is the same. I, I, I don't think Chinese want to monopoly the market. They, anywhere they operate, in which country, it will be the same. They have to work with the local partner. will making the local community be a winner, one of the winners. So if we are the only winners, we cannot be there anywhere, we will not be last long. So this is something that the mentality of Chinese companies that they want to work together with, with the local partner. But the, the Western country, uh, uh, the companies in the Western countries, they also need to think that how we can work together, we share the, the benefits from working together. So this is something that i I want the uh the western companies don't be disappointed about their backwards. I think they work together they can they can using this technology they can using those technology in the uh in the local community and share the benefits and even the for for the technology transfer you know in the past that's a very keen words for the foreign companies for talking about technology transfer, but I think for the Chinese company, they can using technology transfer to the local community
1: so in a sense, what you're saying is if if Europeans and Americans and others want a uh, you know a bigger share of the growth in, in this uh, wind sector, then they have to. Work in tandem with an alliance with Chinese companies; otherwise, they're likely to be beaten by Chinese companies.
0: Why not? We <laughs> right. would go that way. I'm not way? saying anything
1: no, against it, but but you, you'll, I mean, you see, um, just uh, you know, in in, in his tech, sticking for a minute in wind manufacture. Um, is there a concern in China that the European Union, for example, is considering investigating state support for Chinese wind firms? I mean, following the momentum gathered behind the recently announced European investigation uh, into electric vehicles, the subsidy probe uh in uh, in Chinese production of electric vehicles. Um the EU might consider doing this similarly in the case of wind manufacturing. Did does that concern uh, people in China?
0: Uh for short term yes, but for long term no. Why? Because, you know, like what happened in the US, I don't want, I don't want this to happen in Europe. Which is they don't want to build themselves to be competitive, and they want to use some policies to let others not competitive with them for short term, yes, but you don't have grow your own technology. you don't grow your own competitiveness. This will not last long. So the key is to make your own stronger than others. So using Political ways or policies will not last long because those ways we're will, will making your company cost higher, no technology progress. So, this it's, is so the what,
1: so what you're saying is that you know, anti subsidy measures in Europe can slow down China, but that but not reverse China's growth, and anti anti subsidy measures in Europe. May slow down China, but it won't advance the technological capabilities of Europe.
0: I think more or less the same. Uh, I think this is you need to rally through the competition of a market way to grow yourself, or you through the cooperation to grow yourself, not just by politician ways, means, and to stop others. But eventually, you 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 yourself did not grow up.
1: Well, I'm sure that there are people in Brussels who are following this argument and will hear what you're saying. Let me turn to the broader role of industry. Peter, Peter.
0: Yes. Uh, sorry. Sorry. There's, I just let let you know what my experience in the past. You know, China. Everything was very weak. They are not complaining. They are not point finger others. They're just learning, working together with them. So this is the way that can really make build your own competitiveness, but it will take time. So we we spend almost 40 years to to be here. So this is my advice to the Western countries.
1: Well I'm sure there are people listening to you who will take seriously what you what you say. Um, Let me go more broadly, if I may. I mean, globally, there's a lot of interest in developing and deploying uh, hydrogen and also batteries. Uh, China has long embraced strategic industrial policy, as we know. We've talked about that. Um, The United States has begun to follow suit with its Inflation Reduction Act and its Signing very big checks in the U.S. to anchor investment and production uh, in the U.S. and the EU and member states uh, are adding to its policy toolbox in a sense of uh, uh, of uh, carbon pricing, new industrials. Let me ask you this: um, What plans does China have to develop green? and blue hydrogen? What's the potential China has and what are the constraints that it's experiencing? Uh,
0: Chinese government, especially, there's one uh, government agency called the Energy Bureau uh, have set up a certain uh, blueprint for the energy uh, development there in China. And, uh, but Per my personal understanding, China will become one of the largest markets for consumption of the hydrogen. And also, hydrogen development will be faster in China than the rest of the world, because the the real market is there. And what what I mean about market is, one, since we are transforming all the industries to the with so-called green and low-carbon industry, so like steel industry, petrochemical industry, power generation industry, so they have to transform into the green one. So the the hydrogen is one of the uh, major sources for the future, and the like long uh, the marine transportation. So uh, even like, with that, trains. Uh, high speed trains in the future, there might be the best fuel is the hydrogen, and second that you know because of our renewable develop renewable capacity develops too fast, and the storage is too slow yeah, so you said that, that will yeah. that will delay all a lot of renewable capacity being idled, so there's Opportunity to using those idle capacity to generate hydrogen, and why I say that the uh, renewable be idle, uh, idle because one the power grid is not available to hold all of those to to handle all of those capacity. Second, there's no enough local consumption, so that will be taking a few years to meet the the requirement or consume All the new renewables generated. Uh, So, that my hydrogen generation might be one of the ways to consume the renewables and renewable capacity.
1: Okay, that's very interesting. So, you're going to be using your, in a sense, excess renewables capacity in the production of uh, green hydrogen. Um, But will you also be looking to see your um, hydrogen demand? uh, supplied uh, from sources outside China?
0: This all depends on the, the market av- availability of South China.
1: I mean, one of the potential constraints um, in a successful hydrogen sector in China is uh, electrolyzer technology. And uh, in the U.S., Europe, Australian companies too are increasingly protective of their intellectual property in uh, the development of electrolyzer uh, technology. I mean, it's clear that research and technology cooperation, therefore, can lead to the best innovation. I mean, as happened when China commercialized Western research on solar. Uh, so you, in a sense, piggybacked on R and D, research and development outside China, and then sort of accelerated your production once you'd had access to that IP. Is is that what you see happening in the case of hydrogen technology?
0: This all depends on the desires of all the parties. I think one of the ways uh, to the future is to cooperate, to work together. And you have your IPs that will be fine. We work together, we we'll pay for your IPs. But if you have a market and you can give the market to them or you can work together on those market. So I think one of the future market is, uh, a big market is China. So the, the hydrogen generated from other parts of the world, either US or Europe or other part of the world, will, I think China will become a wonder of the market.
1: Do you think that uh, outside China, other countries, other businesses may be tempted to retain their competitive advantage technologically by denying China access to this IP?
0: That's only temporary. You know, what can drive the technology progress market? If you have a market, you will drive the technology progress, like cheap. You know, U.S. can can uh, contain China for short term, yes. But for long term, because there's a market, they will try, always try, try to failure, failure. And then sometime later, there will be success. So market is a real driver for the technology progress
1: so Let- you're, what what you're saying is that it would be better for international companies to you know focus on China's market growth make available the ip to increase the su- investment in and supply to that fast growing chinese market and they'll grow their businesses that way rather than you know, trying to isolate themselves from China's growth. Uh,
0: yes, Peter. You know, there's uh, in, in the future, any sector, technology in any, in any sector will progress, replace very fast. What causes this? The market. If you have a market, you will soon be have uh, have a new uh, technology. If you have technology which is very uh, advanced, but you don't participate in the big competing market, you know you have no opportunity to grow further of your technology. So, I mean, the first generation, second generation, third generation technology, that's based on the application of the market, uh, uh, the technology in the market.
1: Well, let's look at this issue and the policy choices involved in, uh, in the case of uh, uh, electric vehicles and also battery production. Um, I mean, it, at the moment, uh, I mean, China, I think, represents about 56% of world supply of batteries China's share of the European Union's EV electric vehicle market is expected to triple in the three years to 2025 to about 18%. You know, this is causing some serious concerns for European car makers. They feel that they are being sort of overtaken, left behind, that China is again using massive. Uh, production advantages over uh, European manufacturers. And as you know, the European Union has launched a probe into the role of state subsidies again for Chinese EV production. I mean, they're investigating uh, Geely, BYD, SAIC, etc. I mean, what's the view in China of this EU investigation? Uh, into alleged subsidies in EV production. Do you think it's a reasonable concern uh, that European policymakers should have and they need again to try to slow down China's exponential growth? Or is this basically, in your view, only going to slow things down by a moderate uh, time period and that actually it would be better to integrate production and markets, China's and Europeans, uh, so that both and everyone can grow together?
0: Uh, First, I I do not concern that China's battery industry or e-car industry will be contained. So, uh, Second, I think the uh, European uh, Union's politicians, what they they are planning to do is trying to make European car makers weaker. It's not helping them. They're actually making them more far back worse.
1: Sorry, how are they doing that? How are they making European car makers weaker?
0: That. Because they they want to give a, like a, a investigation on the kind of subsidies or something, and then say we well, we are not the the uh or issue the the uh high tax or stop the import of Chinese batteries. This will making European companies weaker. Why? So sorry. Why? It,
1: it, sorry, if they're denied access to Chinese batteries then EV production in Europe will mm-hmm. be weakened and made less competitive, you're saying?
0: Yes. Why? i right. tell you why. Because the battery technology progress very fast. So two years later, there will be new generation of uh, batteries comes out. You talk about today's battery, but you look five years later, there's a maybe two generations of battery comes out. So European companies, if you're only working on the current technology of the batteries, you're far behind because the technology move very fast. You have to work together to get the same generation of technology. So four years ago, we talked about 400 kilometers per hour of battery. Now we're talking about 600 kilometers and then 1,000 kilometers of a battery. So this change very fast. And this is not just battery itself. The making car itself changing very f- fastly. So this is not like mechanical cars. The, the electric cars, the changing the technology changing very fast like every wheel will be uh driving themselves. they can turn hundreds three hundred sixty degrees just at the uh, one place so those changes are very fast. It's not just say like like in the past mechanical cars use. one model can run for ten years or five years no now every model maybe just lasts for 2 years so based on this you you don't have today's technology means you cannot catch up in the next few years new technology so the only way that you can catch up work together
1: that's quite an indictment of the european automotive sector i mean it's quite a, a strong criticism of technological development in europe
0: British stars, point fingers or using uh, political uh, weapons, they only making you backwards. Well, if the anti-subsidy probe does
1: make a finding uh, against China, China then really has two alternative responses. it can as it were, take the hit if the duty or tariff is uh, applied by European policymakers, um, or it can seek an alternative, some sort of voluntary agreement uh, of some sort to avoid the additional tariff, but to try and make some, I don't know what, policy concessions production technological concessions to Europe I mean what what options would you say China has in in, in the light of a, of a finding a ruling by the European Union against what they allege are Chinese subsidies
0: uh, let's say this this way what I whatever the politicians in European they want to do either contain this supply to this market or higher tax, there's two negative things to themselves. One, the the consumers in that market will will pay some of those high tax, higher tax. And second, they will making the the uh, the local car makers no technology to progress because their costs are higher. So China, European, is a big market, but there's, except for the European and US, or even OECDs, there's another 7 billion people in other markets. As long as you, enough advanced and with a low cost, so you don't, China do, do not really concern about the market. It's a East Asia and the, uh, Developing countries, they need those cheap and advanced cars.
1: So you're saying that politics does not provide a solution (laughs) to uh, uh, to European manufacturers, that consumers will pay the price of protectionism, if that's how you want to call it, uh, and that that protectionism won't even lead to substantial technological progress. In the medium term,
0: or long run,
1: yes. Let me ask you, raise another issue, and that is um, uh, quite a hot topic in Europe, and that's critical raw materials, uh, which are very important to production. How well placed is China in securing supply, either domestically or internationally, of, of these critical raw materials?
0: work together with the local government and with local companies or, in China in China n- not in China globally
1: right i see okay mm-hmm. so so china is dependent on sources outside china other countries other other suppliers
0: that's right they have to work together with with them that you work together you must make sure that they believe working together with you they will be one of the winners
1: so basically you're saying that china's in a race with other countries for local supply that we're that that we're trying we we we're, we're hunting down we're trying to you know channel the supply of critical raw materials from around the world and that we're competing Uh, on that, and that it would be better if we were to cooperate and find a more, what, an even flow, uh, a freer market supply from around the world? Is that what you're saying?
0: Uh, You see our crude with 70% or 73% are imported. We're working with all the producers around the world. And other raw materials serious is the same you see the iron core we import one of the largest imports of iron core so even though there's uh, uh, not many players in the market but we try to work together with the supplier and the consumer work together
1: but supposing countries that uh, for whatever reason are favorable to the West, to the US, to Europe, if they if they employ or tighten export uh, controls that reduce trade and supply, uh, uh, could that put China at a disadvantage, a significant disadvantage?
0: Uh, there's uh, maybe there's a two uh, such environment, uh, such thing might be happened. One. The, the world splatted into two systems. Okay. It's, it's, bifurca-
1: it's bifurcated in that sense.
0: That's that's right. Second, there might be third world war. So if this those things do not happen, I think there's people have such a design, some people have such a design, but if you're long run they have to make sure whatever they, they did will be eventually beneficial to them. Economically, at least.
1: But you're saying that the criti- the supply of critical raw materials is so critical that you know a race to the bottom could lead to, well, the possible conflict in the world.
0: Yes, that's for for some very keen uh, short supply of uh, raw materials. I think that's also need. Uh, market com- competition, but currently, you know, the world, every country now talking about political correctness. So this will, might be based on either on the uh, ideology or on this social, uh, the, the the systems, or based on whatever. But they say, well, we don't want to work with you. That'd be fine you cannot force them to work with you and then you will find other ways there's
1: but you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> right
1: i mean it's perfectly clear to everyone isn't it it's clear to you and me that the phase of global cooperation that we've seen over the last 2 to 3 decades is frankly becoming more difficult It's being challenged more and more. And that as a result, trade defensiveness or or economic nationalism is increasing and protective industrial policies are expanding. And let's be honest, they're expanding both in the West and in China. So that sort of Risk of bifurcation, that dividing of the world into Uh competing camps, one oriented towards the United States and the other oriented towards China. I mean, it would appear that that's the path along which we're going. And it could operate to the detriment of the global economy as a whole, but equally both to China and to the West. Is that what you're saying?
0: Uh, Yes. Uh, I think there's. Talking about the, the current what's happening in, in the world, a lot of politicians want to go to this way. And they are really trying to split the world into two systems. But their efforts may last for maybe maximum for 10 years. I think eventually. Their followers will not follow their policy because this is not good to themselves.
1: Well, in that light, the recent meeting of your president, Xi Jinping, and the US president, Mr Biden, was welcome, but it hardly produced a a radical turn in attitude or policy, really, did it?
0: I think they both... Don't want to continue to be hurt of themselves, because you know each what they did. You look you you uh, look back at the U.S. people, they are suffering. You look at China, China being suffered. So eventually, nobody get the benefits. If they continue to do this, I think the people of each countries will not be happy with them.
1: I mean, the contrast, I suppose, could be the recent meeting at Sunnylands between John Kerry and his Chinese counterpart, Xi uh, Um, because they thrashed out and signed a new climate cooperation agreement. I mean, how significant a deal do you think that was, that Sunnylands agreement?
0: I don't know, U.S., because uh, next year the new election, who will be there? And uh, if Trump is there, I think they will deny everything <laughs> that they they, let, they let, made with China.
1: Let, hmm. Let's not take a depressing turn in this conversation. Um, <laughs> let's try and be a bit, be a little bit more optimistic. Hmm. Um, but I mean, are there areas realistically in which we could see more China-U.S. cooperation if? if there isn't a change of leadership in the United States?
0: Uh, certainly, if US will continue to emphasize uh, to deal with the climate change, I think there's a great deal of potentials so that China and US can work together. And But even though US changed their policy, China will continue to go to their own commitment uh, that transformed the company into a uh, Transform the country into a grain and low carbon that meet their commitment by 30, uh, 2030. They meet the peak, and then 2060 will be uh, new- neutrality.
1: And what do you think? What impact do you think this slightly turbulent political scene will have on COP28? I mean, what are China's thoughts on the big issues? At- COP28, for example, phasing out or phasing down fossil fuels, tripling renewable capacity. What's your evaluation currently of the prospects for agreement at COP28? I'm
0: uh, a little bit more optimistic than uh, before the President Xi and President Biden make this uh, agreement. And because one, one of the challenges is that they uh make a commitment on the missing. And by 2030, there should not be a discharge of the missing. And second, that the uh the oil transition, even though they don't have specific figure, but they they, they will sell, uh, talk about the about the peak. And s- Third one is about the investment in this area, so they both kind of, uh, committed that they will work together with the rest of the world to set up a funds for loss and damages so this uh, in those areas I think was very much concerned in in uh, for this meeting, perhaps this will be, the COP28 will be uh, one of the major achievements to meet uh, the Paris Accord, at least closer to that target.
1: So you would, you know, if you had to say, well, the Paris Accord currently in the run-up to COP28, it's fragile, it's surviving, or it could actually remain firmly intact. Where would you place yourself on that spectrum—fragile, sort of surviving, or really more strongly intact?
0: If you look at the the majority of government commitment, they are still—they did not withdraw from the uh, Paris Accord. And but in reality, that will be very difficult, especially to the developed countries. Uh, my one of the, my concern is that they can commit, however, it's difficult for them to deliver, especially for the capital to be invested. So this is one of my concerns. And uh, second, that uh, the second that I'm optimistic is that from the commitment, I see especially they are talking about COP30. They want to make COP30 more closer to the Paris uh, Accord. Right. right. So this is the optimistic part, and there's concern part is whether or not they can deliver. I don't know. Well, I
1: think I put you in the middle of that spectrum. You think, you think the Paris Accord, in the light of COP twenty eight, is surviving, but it could, uh, by the time we reach COP thirty, be be stronger. It could be. We could see be seeing an intensification. Would we'll, we'll
0: be stronger, but still, yes, we're talking about Paris Accord. Is one point five degree achievable or really achievable or What's one point eight? So view? this is <laughs> this is the key. So we must be realistic when whatever the, the politicians committed, but in reality, the after the two thousand fifteen, the Paris Accord, accord, not many people, not many countries really. Working hard on this, so a lot work should be done before, but it's delayed. So this is one of the concerns about 1.5 degree or higher.
1: Well, uh, we'll see. Thank you. Uh, We'll see what happens at COP 28. But this has been a very insightful, very interesting conversation. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much indeed for taking the time and addressing my question so directly. Um, I'm very grateful.
0: Okay, that's uh, my pleasure. Thank you very much, Peter, for this interview <laughs> or oh, dialogue. <that> <laughs>
1: the conversation.
0: conversation. Okay, conversation. Okay, thank you very much.
1: All right, bye bye. Bye bye. For more insights blogs and analysis you can visit our website www.global-council.com and subscribe to our mailing list
0: and you can follow us on twitter at global underscore council